Welcome to the Like a Bigfoot podcast. I'm your host, Chris Ward. This week, we're talking to Jill Campbell, one of the leading experts in acro yoga. And if you don't know what acro yoga is, (laughs) I'm embarrassed to say that I'd heard of the term acro yoga for months and months and months at this point. And I didn't really put it together until probably five minutes before speaking to Jill that acro yoga is a mixture of acrobatics and yoga. Who would have guessed it? Um, so as you can tell, I'm a newbie. Uh, I've never done an acro yoga class. I've, I've practiced all types of yoga at this point, but I've never, I've always been kind of intimidated to sign up for an acro class because Basically, you're working with a partner, you're lifting them up, um, they're lifting you up, you're doing all sorts of various yoga poses, but instead of doing it by yourself, because yoga is generally a very individual practice, you're practicing social yoga, as Jill explains, which is sounds really cool, but for someone who has never done it before, it definitely is... A little intimidating to think about signing up for a class. So that's why I wanted to talk to Jill today so she can kind of guide me through what being an acro yoga newbie would be like. And I I kind of always go by the idea that if you want to learn something, you should talk to experts in that field. So whatever you want to learn, you should talk to the people who who are the most experienced, most knowledgeable people. And Jill definitely falls under that category. So not only is she excellent at at acro yoga, which, by the way, look her up on YouTube, Jill Campbell. Her and her partner Heidi do these amazing routines that will blow your mind. But she also is an instructor of acro yoga, but not just an instructor, she actually teaches teachers. So really, her whole mission is to spread the goodness of acro yoga throughout the whole entire world, which is pretty cool. And as a, as a teacher myself, eighth grade science, <laughs> not the same as acro yoga, but I was amazed with the similarities in the instructional practices that Jill uses that everyday regular K through 12 teachers use as well. So it turns out teaching is just kind of a intuitive thing and the same things that work in an acro yoga class also work in the public school settings. So I kind of geeked out about that a little bit. All right, so enjoy this week's show. With Jill Campbell, Uh, she works in Montreal Acro Yoga. Look her up online. Look her up on YouTube. What she does is amazing. And as always, if you're looking for the rest of our episode, you can go to our website, www.likeabigfoot.com or join our Facebook group. And of course, subscribe to iTunes. So here we go. Episode number 21, Jill Campbell. I just kind of want to understand acro yoga a little more because, you know, I, I've done a lot of yoga, um, various practices, you know, doing, taking classes, doing it at home on YouTube, you know, I've done like the hot yoga, all that stuff, but I've never done acro and I know everyone who does it is instantly in love with it. (laughs) It does have that power. Yeah. So, Um, so why is that? Why is it? Well, you know, to define it is tricky. I think that there are a lot of different definitions out there of what acro yoga is. Um, it's basically, it's partner balancing. Uh, it's, it's working, the way that I look at it is it's working asana, but with another body. So asana being the yoga postures and then doubling that or, you know, squaring that by adding another person into the mix. And sometimes there's even more than one other person. You can do it with three or four or five people, you know, or as many as you want. Yeah. 
So the addiction to it, again, tricky to pinpoint exactly, but I would, I would venture off to say that the reason why people get so hooked on it is because it is a way to exchange touch in a time and a place in a society where we don't exchange a lot of touch. You know, if, if touch isn't sexual, sexualized, then it's, it's usually non-existent. Even just putting your hand on someone's shoulder when you speak to them is like a thing these yeah, days. Yeah, they like you know? jump kind of, you know. Yeah, personal personal space has, has become... Um, it's become very important to a lot of people, and, and, and the lack of touch only brings more lack of touch. This is a place where you, you get to have your hands on another person's body and that everybody understands that it's, it's consensual, it's, it's a safe space, it's a safe space where you can be with that other person, and that there's a, there's a purpose to it. So the, while you're doing it, um, you know, it, it's... Uh, it feels natural because there's a goal or there's something that you're working towards together. Okay. How, uh, how are these postures created? I mean, are there names for various poses or? Um, there are, there are names, but this, this practice is quite young and, uh, Jesse and Eugene, Jesse Goldberg and Eugene Poku out of Montreal started practicing what they called acro yoga in, um, the early nineties. And then we had Jason Newmer and Jenny, Jenny Sauerklein, who started practicing out of the States um, in the end of the 90s, beginning of the 2000s. And there were certain things that they named as a part of the practice. Uh, so we do have quite a large vocabulary now as a community. We have things called rotations, where you have a flyer on top of a base, and the flyer is um, repeating a movement. So they're, they're, they're turning around on the same movement. It's, it's a repetitive, circular kind of thing. We have phrases, which is where you flow from one position through many other positions to an end position. And then you, know, you can repeat that phrase. You can come back to the beginning and do it just once through. We have flows, which in Montreal, we're sort of well known for doing that. We'll create a, you know, anywhere from a 30 second or a three minute all the way to you know 12 or 15 minute long breath-based flow with a partner where it's it's a seamless flow of, of motion. I just watched the aviating flow I think on YouTube and I, I was just first of all I was like I don't know if I could remember the sequence that you know is that is that difficult? Yeah. Uh, well, we made that up ourselves. So, you know, when something is your own material, it becomes easy to memorize. You, you, you write a poem and that poem is yours. So, um, in that sense, it's not difficult to remember. Okay. And it, it is that one thing in our minds and in our bodies naturally leads into the next. Like we've created, um, a, a pathway for us to follow in order to get from the beginning of that flow all the way to the end of it. So the more that we do it, the you know the easier it becomes to remember. Okay. I guess, um, yeah, that yeah. makes total sense. I just, as I watch it, you know, since I, first of all, I don't know much about acro or, you know, I didn't <laughs> obviously create it. I was just like, how did they remember all this stuff? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the more you do it, the, the, the easier it gets. And that, um, that flow was created with my partner, Heidi Blay. And the two of us have been working together since 2010. And we've created many flows. And we have a lot of original uh, repertoire in the stuff that we do. And we're kind of known for being a bit odd in <laughs> the, the ways that we explore this practice. So, yeah. It's interesting that you say that because it's it's more challenging for me to remember like a rotation, which is almost easier movement often. It's more challenging for me to remember that than if I'm taught a rotation that someone else created than if I create, you know, a, an eight-minute flow with her. Yeah. Uh, just because we know the way each other's bodies work and it's, it's ours, you know. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. Does eventually, does it become kind of intuitive yeah, definitely. Uh, with practice and with practice and with experience and repetition, it becomes intuitive. And then, um, 
the body learns to balance itself better and that then opens up all these other possibilities um that that in combination with working with people that you know i also feel like that really expands the possibilities because there's a trust that's developed there and so you're willing to try something that's new you're you're willing to go a little bit farther and and push past your limitations with that person because you recognize that like they've got your back and they're not going to let you fall and if it is something that's dangerous we're going to make sure that we're being safe about it we'll call somebody in to spot us um that kind of um of a commitment to a relationship in terms of this this uh, practice helps a lot yeah that's really interesting too because yeah you have to have complete faith in the other person otherwise you probably get into your own head about it and then you might you know not be in the moment and you might drop them or something (laughs) yeah yeah definitely (laughs) i mean if i'm playing with people who are uh it's interesting because it's not necessarily a thing about being new or being experienced in the practice that creates or builds trust it's sort of the way that a person moves or like what you said how much attention that person is is uh putting into the moment yeah you know someone is distracted or moving quickly or there's a lot of what I call noise in their practice um I'm a lot more cautious when I'm working with them yeah do you guys do the I mean yoga is pretty much the main kind of basis of it is your breath and are you guys Mm -hmm. doing these deep excuse I don't know all the terms at this point but are you doing the deep uh Mm -hmm. deep breaths uh, we, we use the breath as a huge tool in the okay. way that it's all working together. Um, you know, if you're not breathing properly, then your nervous system gets all agitated. Um, muscles will tense up. You know, the systems of the body will kind of go into, into like clenching or uh, they'll go into pause or into like a stasis. So we, we use the breath to one, have endurance, you know, to be able to sustain a practice with another person. I can't go into a practice and not be breathing and, and, and expect to be training for three hours. <laughs> um, we use it as a connection and as a timing piece. So if I'm working and I'm going to, um, you know, mount up onto my partner or like jump up into a position, we'll often use the breath as a timing. So we'll take an inhale and then with the exhale, we both know it's time to make that movement together. Um, and we also we also definitely use it just as a way to make sure that everything is aligned properly. So that the you know the the ability to breathe just like in yoga is a huge cue or a huge indication as to whether your your body's in the right position, whether you're aligned properly for whatever it is that you're that you're doing that you're performing. Okay. Yeah. How how did you get into this? Um. How did I get into yeah, this? Yeah, what's well, like your story, I guess? Because yeah. I think I think I have a well, theory. I have a theory that everybody who does yoga consistently wants to be a yoga teacher, but okay. not everyone actually pursues that. I've I did a few years where I did it every single day, and by the mm-hmm. end of that year, I felt so good. I'm like, man, should I look into this whole like teaching yoga thing? What made you pursue it? Yeah. Well, I was already a yoga instructor, okay. so it, it made perfect sense to me. I actually find that a lot of my joy of the practice is in instructing it. Oh. I like to, because I am so passionate about it, because I feel so good when I'm doing it, and and there's, there's such a broader, oh wow, there's, there's just so many other positive benefits to this practice that, you know, maybe we'll have time to go into, but just, you know, the community that you build around it um, and those relationships within that, in addition to, like, the physical practice, in addition to the, the way that you learn to communicate with other people, um, like we already spoke a little bit about, like, touch, consensual, non-sexual touch, like, all of these things. There's, like, so many positive um, effects that lie within this practice, and so... For me, one way to share it is certainly by practicing it with other people, but the idea of you know, giving the, the gift to others and then 
coming to this point now where I'm also instructing teacher trainings for it. So it's like giving the gift for others to also share it <laughs> and share it in a, in a safe way, share it in a way that promotes um, you know, accessibility to, to, to all people, that it's in a, it's in a way where we're, we're looking at offering it to all walks of life, all different kinds of, uh, of, of people in our community and in our society. But these kinds of values, letting people express their creativity, watching them just push past their limits, um, it's amazing. It's so rewarding, you know, yeah. really. Yeah. As a teacher, one of the greatest things, and it's, it's kind of a joy that you don't, ex- you don't experience every single day, but when you see the light bulb go off in someone's head and it clicks for them, that's such a rush. And you kind of get hooked to that feeling. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know that from your eighth grade? Yeah. Your eighth grade student? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like I said, not it's every true. day. <laughs> <laughs> but, and then, you know, sometimes you see them, like one, one kid will get it, and then the next, like then all of a sudden there's a whole group of people that understand, and it's, it's a cool moment. It really is. And I have to imagine it's the same, uh, same for you. Uh, especially it like is, especially yeah. teaching teachers that's really interesting to mm-hmm. me so people come in and they obviously are yoga instructors are there are they kind of from all different branches yeah um, not everyone necessarily has to be a yoga instructor before okay. they come to the teacher training that we offer in Montreal there are other teacher teacher trainings um, that that go on in the acro yoga world and some of them do have that as a requirement Okay. Um, people come to us from all different walks of life, and for a lot of for a lot of people that we get, they're trying to build a community. So it's not even that they are so invested in being like the leading teacher. It's just that they want to share it, and they want to share it in their own practice. And so they have to instruct other people to build a community around them. This happens a lot. So the the pioneer, you know, the pioneer often they're in their town in their city, where they're they're wanting to create something. So this is a way that they can get instruction on how can they share this thing that they love in the best possible way. You know, yeah. making sure that everybody, you know, first and foremost, definitely in this practice because it can be dangerous. Looking at safety, and then all of the other background stuff. I mean, when you were talking earlier about your teacher training, like the idea of, oh, perhaps I should go into a teacher training. Part of that teacher training is about learning what's behind the practice. So you go into your yoga class and you're doing the the physical practice and it feels good, but why does it feel good? What is it about? Where did it come from? How is it that it has these effects on my body? Um, There's all of that that comes within the teacher training for acro yoga and then in addition to that the things that we learn about ourselves in a program like that the way that we communicate how we can uh, you know better introduce others to it how do we modify for another body how can we you know make this something that is for everybody uh, all of these kinds of things sequencing the way that the the anatomy of our our, of our anatomy works, the way that our bodies work so that we can prepare ourselves to do certain things. This is, I mean, it's, it's mind-blowing, it's awesome, it's, it's fantastic. So people come for that kind of knowledge, you know, that kind, of, that kind of inspiration. And whether they wind up formally teaching classes doesn't really matter. It's yeah. a way to delve into themselves and delve into the practice more, you know? Yeah, it's a way to kind of understand why you're doing what you're doing so do you do you nerd out when you take certain class yoga classes and you're like oh i see what they're doing <laughs> always 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 i'm a, I'm a bit of an anatomy geek yeah um, semi self-proclaimed semi labeled um <laughs> so and, and i also instruct a lot of yoga like asana and that's one of the things that i'm known for is Kind of geeking out and diving into the way that the body needs to be prepared, the way the body works, how to like, kind of like optimal functioning of the body. Um, and I take that into the acro yoga as well. 
I do. I really, I really, my partner and I, Heidi, we geek out a lot on how can we prepare people to do this thing and how can we make it fun? How can we make it a game? How can we make it inquisitive? You know, how can it be creative? Like our class planning sessions are, are works of art, you know? (laughs) Yeah. Oh, for sure. I totally understand that. So, um, (laughs) is there a lot of laughter in these classes? I have to, I have to imagine people are having fun and smiling and laughing, or are they more of like focused in and intense? I I would say there is a lot of laughter in the classes, uh, and that's something that I feel is essential. I also feel that it's essential that there be a a seriousness attached to the practice. Yeah. So a balance between um, sort of the uh, the heaviness and the lightness of what it is that we're doing. Uh, again, because there is there is a risk of danger. There's a risk of injury, and especially if there is a lot of distraction. So the laughter and fun is good. Um, you know, sort of like hysterics or. Um, when the energy gets too high, <laughs> yeah, and I mean this is this is one of those things in the teacher training that it's like we talk about this. You look at the energy of the room; it's getting too high. Then it's what are the tools that you have to to bring that energy back down and put it again into like a the a more serious practice. And the same thing goes the other way because some people get really hard on this, themselves. Some people strive and push and challenge and you know are are frustrated by um, by learning new things. And so in those moments, like how to keep it light, how to make it fun, how to ensure that everybody is moving forward and not getting stuck on something, you know? Yeah, so what's, what kind of strategies do you use? <laughs> we use games. Yeah? We use, yeah, we definitely use games. We use uh, mind puzzles. So just like body puzzles, like turn your right hand to the outside, turn your right foot to the inside. Try it, that's hard. <laughs> um, we'll use creative process, we'll use meditation, we'll use sun salutations from yoga. Okay. To bring it back to the individual, kind of a reset button. So that's kind of when it's, will, when it's too high energy and you're bringing them back down, you kind of get them, fo- like yeah. get them into an individual practice almost? Definitely. Okay. Yeah. And that can be used too in terms of like resetting the body. So, and if you're looking at like physical sequencing, it's you're coming out of one exercise that's really driving the body in, in one way, then you can come out, reset with a sun salutation, a few yoga postures, and then move in a different direction, but giving the, the body time to sort of to rebound back to a neutrality. Okay. So say, since I've never done this, say I'm a new student and I'm coming into your class for the first time. What what would that look like? What do I what would I need to look for in a partner? Like, do you need to be the same size, height? How does that work out? Mm-hmm. Um, all that doesn't matter. Okay, that's what <laughs> I was thinking you were going to say, but I wasn't sure. <laughs> <laughs> no, um, and I mean, there we do see a lot in um, in the acro yoga practice where you have like a larger base on the bottom and a smaller flyer on the top, and you know, that can work and that works if that's the person who's in front of you, that that, you know, that situation presents itself like that, then go for it. Um, but if you're standing in front of somebody that's the same size, then there'll be a whole different set of skills that you two can do together. So trying, this is another Acro Yoga Montreal thing or um, philosophy is that we're trying to create a practice that doesn't necessarily deepen the the societal stereotypes that we already have, like male large base, female light fire. Um, you know, then you get someone who's like me. I'm I'm a, I'm female, but I'm not tiny, and so I come in, and then I can't do some of the things because maybe the person who I'm paired with is a man who's the same size as me. So we we really want to get past that and not provoke more of that we already have enough of that in society so that's that's a whole other i'm sorry i went on a tangent there <laughs> you're, you're a beginner you come into the class yeah and we're going to set up 
first of all, that you get to know the other people who are in the class. Yeah. So that when you get into a position where you are touching that person, that it, it you know, it, there's there has been permission given, shall we say. Yeah. You at least know their name. Is, yeah. <laughs> you'll know their name. There'll be icebreakers where there'll be, like, light touching, um, you know, gluing your body together and, like, changing position and laughing and lightening up the mood, making it, making it, making it so it's not awkward. Yeah. And then we would move into some accessible balancing. And there's, there are a lot of different ways that you can take that. Um, a lot of different class sort of structures that could happen. You might learn to stack another body on top of you. So you're laying on your back with your legs up or you're on all fours in a tabletop and somebody else is going to get up on top of you. And then you're going to do the same thing with someone else. So testing out, you know, where you feel comfortable with, what's safe, um, how you have to hold your body in order to be successful in these things, uh, and then working up from there. But the thing that's really difficult is differentiating. You have students who are at one level, and then there's students who are at a completely different level, and they're all in the same classroom, and you have to figure out a way to make the experience worthwhile for everybody. That's a thing. That's that is thing. definitely That's a definitely thing. A thing. <laughs> <laughs> For sure. So the beginner class is, is a little bit easier in that way. Okay, yeah. Nobody knows what they're getting into, so yeah. you present beginner material. The multi-level class is the tricky one where you have, like you're saying, a varying range of experience and abilities. Um, and the way that we manage that, some teachers will actually split up the class so that you have, like, two um, two kind of little mini sessions going. Yeah. On a rare occasion, I might do that. What I like to do is there's a couple of strategies. One is that you separate beginners and, and more experienced practitioners um, between each other, so that you have an experienced practitioner who can help to uh, bring up the practice of a new person, and then that new person is also playing with someone with more experience, so they feel more confident to explore limits and, and push back past those boundaries. The other way that we approach it sometimes, depending on the material, is that you can put those people who are at the same sort of experience level all together, offer an exercise, and then offer to those more experienced groups on a sort of an individual group basis a way to uh, intensify it. So you could say, hey, you guys did really great on that, like try this variation. And the other groups in the room, they're going to work on the first variation that they were given in the demo, like the group, the group process, the group lesson that we were teaching, right? Yeah. So that's, a, that's another way. You can also show progressions during the demo. So it's like, here's the level one, here's level two, here's level three. However, people will want to go to the highest level right away. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so it's a little bit less effective unless you have a very, very like conscientious group. And they're they're kind of like oh, really aware of where their level is at. Yeah. Yeah, that's a when when people who have never done any yoga at all, when I talk to them about the benefits of doing yoga, they kind of get so self conscious because you know maybe they're not flexible at all, and they're like, well, what are people going to think in the class? And I'm kind of like. Well, when you're doing yoga, you're really not thinking about, you're trying not to think about anything else. So chances are no one's really okay. even, like you shouldn't be self-conscious because no one's really even considering you at this point. Yeah. Well, and, and I mean, everybody, everyone's, everyone's experience is their own. So, I mean, experience that the person is having who, you know, from the outwards looks extremely yeah. flexible and capable, but they may be working through an injury or... You know, they, may, they may be working through a lot of like mental trauma or and and somebody comes in and isn't flexible to a yoga class I mean that's that's kind of the least of our concerns you know that I mean you're the benefit you're going to reap a benefit of becoming more able in your body whether that means being stronger or being more flexible or whatever um, the idea like you're saying would be that over the course of that yoga practice, you would understand that all that we're trying to do is just really be aware of our experience, be, a, be aware of what it is that we're going through while we're practicing, and that that kind of meditation, awareness, um, consciousness, that that would then you know, 
spill over outside of the studio and into the rest of our lives. So that as we move through our daily things, the yogic lessons or the yogic teachings that we're learning in our class are becoming ingrained in our normal day. Yeah, definitely. You, you travel around and you teach at these workshops. How many people have you taught? Because I know some yoga workshops, at least I've never been to one, but the pictures I've seen looks like there's hundreds of people sometimes. Mm. Um, Heidi and I have taught some big workshops, that's for sure. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, there's a few that stand out in my mind. It is a bit trickier to instruct to like large groups of people like that, but uh, just because of acro and you know wanting to make sure that everybody's staying safe, so we choose our material very well. But yeah, I don't know how many people I've instructed, like uh, a lot of people. Yeah, but yeah. I, I I wouldn't even I wouldn't even be able to like muster a guess on that. <laughs> I've been instructing since two thousand and five or two thousand and six. Okay, with acro. Um, so, I mean, that's a lot of people that have come either to a class of mine or a teacher training or a, a workshop in a foreign land or, you know, yeah. Where, where all have you traveled to? Um, instructing ACRO, we've traveled to uh, definitely the States and Mexico, uh, Estonia, Finland, wow. um, Spain, Denmark, Sweden. Switzerland, um, yeah, we're, we're about to go to Thailand and Australia, we'll be in Italy in April, then we're going back to Northern Europe in August, um, Costa Rica, been there, um, yeah, yeah, lots of, lots of places, been very, very blessed to have found a practice that I really love, you know, work that fulfills me and that, that also you know, allows me to travel like this, it's incredible. Yeah. When you started, I mean, did you imagine that you were basically going to get paid to travel to all these exotic, awesome places? <laughs> uh, I, I don't think usually that much about the future. <laughs> uh, it's something... It's a sign of a good yogi, for sure. <laughs> I, I, I guess so. Um, I've noticed that over the past few years because I have people ask me this question. It comes up and... I do know that Heidi says one time when we first started practicing together, she says that I, I said to her, we should just, we should just practice and then we should just start traveling all around the world and like sharing this. She remembers that. I don't remember saying that, but apparently that was something that I thought would be really interesting and yeah. that I wanted. <laughs> um, <laughs> but yeah, there was no master plan behind it. It was really just like day by day doing the practice. And this, this practice was, it, it helped me through a lot of really difficult times in my life too, yeah. as a safe space and as a place to be. And it's funny because at those times, that's when I feel that my practice flourished the most. Um, and so those moments, those times of my life would have propelled my practice into sort of these bigger, these greater realms that, again, I didn't plan for, but I'm super grateful that it's, it's happening the way that it is. Yeah, yeah. So I'm just, I'm fascinated by the idea of just doing something that you're passionate about and then, of like, just being completely in love with what you're doing and then all of a sudden that becomes just something that you're doing for a career. You know, everyone has passions and every hobbies and all that, but maybe daydream about turning them into a career, but uh, <laughs> but not everyone yeah. actually. That doesn't happen for everybody, and maybe it's because yeah. they're not necessarily putting the work in or being consistent with it. I mean, everybody's story is different, right? Definitely. Um, I, I do. I do know that a lot of this was just serendipitous. It it was just being in the right place when I came to Montreal in 2007. I had already been teaching a little bit of Afro. I'd seen it around. And then I came to Montreal and I, I came to a class with Jesse and Eugene here. And I knew, like I really knew because <laughs> it was a mix of circus and yoga and it was social. So I love my yoga practice and I'm an extremely social being. So the idea that I could 
do like social yoga (laughs) was incredible. Uh, And, you know, I continue with my yoga practice. I, I instruct yoga all the time. I also like, you know, I'm here in Montreal guiding a teacher training for yoga. That's like a huge part of my life. That's like my, my two lives. I have my yoga asana here and then this acro yoga world. Um, and again, it's so tricky to answer that. Um, part luck, part right place, right time. Being fully engaged in it, also, and and maybe it's just maybe sometimes it's about not asking those questions as to like where can this bring me. Like, you know, I, I want, I want, I want, I want yeah. this to be my career. I want this to be these things for me. I want. It was never like that. It's always been. This feels right. This feels right. This feels right. I'm just going to continue on this, and this feels right. And it's always making that that right decision in in the moment, um, rather than looking at what the outcome could be, rather than rather than hoping or wanting something, just being in, in what is what is right for that for that moment for that time. Yeah, I love that. Uh, so, how often are you are you practicing? Yeah, it depends on the week. It okay. depends where I am. If I'm if I'm traveling, um, if I'm traveling with other acro yogis, or if I'm traveling with my family, uh, I'd say on on average, if I'm here in Montreal, I'm practicing uh, anywhere from two to five times a week. And again, it really really depends on what the rest of my world is um, is demanding of me at that time. And I think I mean maybe that's another thing too is that I take this seriously, and I also recognize that there's there's life around me so um you know my training schedule is is flexible so that i can be flexible in in everything else that i'm also i'm a a mom yeah you know like i said i have a kind of like a second career um we run a studio here for aqua yoga montreal uh, you know, and I got all those other things that we all do, bills and taxes and school <laughs> meetings and, you know, pickups and drop-offs and, you know, shoveling off my stairs when it snows. <laughs> yeah, I mean, flexibility is the key as a parent because I, mm-hmm. cause yeah. I know for me, if, if I'm training for races and whatnot, uh, I know I'm not going to – there's going to be days where I'm going to have to skip training because maybe the kid's sick or – Anything like that. Yeah, isn't it an appropriate moment that, that was my perfect. son walks in, he, he needs my assistance? He knew. <laughs> he totally knew. <laughs> I just was curious because, especially with my daughter, who's three right now, I just feel like this is a really interesting way and a fun way to get her into yoga. Because, I mean, I'm going to be honest, if I'm doing yoga in my two-bedroom apartment that we're currently living in, it turns into acro yoga anyways because she just crawls on me the whole entire time. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> so, I mean, what, what advice would you have to get your kids interested? Uh, I don't think that you need to... Um, there's not much that needs to be done. Like you said, yeah. if you are being active and you put yourself into your yoga practice, kids are going to want to climb all over you. <laughs> That's true. And I, I think I think that at a, at a, in terms of kids, it's really about the play. Yeah. So the technical aspect of it can be left alone until they're old enough that you know they're they're old enough that they can focus on something like that. Um, I think that the best way to have your kids being active is just to show them that you're doing it as well. Get them involved. Let them have fun with it. Uh, and show them that you yourself are are disciplined in it, and that will then that will happen with them over time. I think it's um, yeah. Have you read by example? Oh yeah. Oh for sure. Because I'll just be doing downward dog, and all of a sudden she'll run up, do downward dog, or like tree pose. Yeah. She loves doing tree pose, which is hilarious. <laughs> uh, <laughs> okay, so I guess the last thing I just wanted to ask you about because it looked. First of all, it looked terrifying, but it looked way cool, too. I looked on your Facebook, and I saw a picture of you doing highlining. Okay, this is really funny that you asked that, and my response is going to be hilarious, too, because 
I am not a highliner. Uh, my partner, my acro yoga partner, Heidi, she is like world renowned highliner. Really? Like, honestly, she's, she's amazing. So that photo <laughs> was on a day when we were, we were in Switzerland and she set up a highline for some of the highliners in the community. And that, you know, I was hanging out on the sidelines, doing some yoga, going hiking. And then I came back and she said, why don't we just, We'll, we'll, we'll strap you in with a carabiner and you can kind of slide out onto the highline. <laughs> so I am completely like strapped. I'm, I'm not even on a line where I could fall five feet and then have to crawl back up. I'm like strapped from my, from my belt right onto the line. Like I would just flip over it like a koala. <laughs> like, so there's the first part of it. And even so, even being clipped in like that, when I first got out on the high line, I took about four slides out and I froze a little bit and I had to breathe and just work myself past it to get out into the middle. And I don't have normally a fear of heights. Yeah. Um, but you just feel like you're out in the middle of an abyss. Like this one little line is going to keep you safe. and they are safe they're doubled up you know i watched them install them they're professionals and everything that they do it's it's amazingly safe and that's like the um, logical part of your brain is telling you that but the other part of your brain that's like don't die oh this <laughs> tiny thing is holding me holding my entire weight <laughs> yeah yeah um and if you wanted to know more about the highlighting then i would definitely send you heidi's way and you could do an entire interview like this with her that would and be she great. can show you how brave and how like non scaredy catish she is. Um, and I'm definitely, I, I enjoyed that experience and I'm looking forward to doing it again. But the idea of standing up on a rope between two cliffs to me is, um, it's not terrible. It's just not inspiring for yeah. me to do that with my own body. I like to watch other people do it. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, I totally agree. I'm on the same page with you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I can't imagine myself doing it. Being a yoga instructor has to be an advantage for doing slacklining or highlining, I have to imagine. Well, I mean, Heidi always tells me that I'm somewhat of a natural when I get up onto the line. Um, it's just something that I don't, I don't necessarily practice that much. Uh, just with all my time that's dedicated to kids and acro yoga, uh, it's, I, I, I wouldn't mind, you know, delving deeper into the whole slackline community. And it's always around the acro yoga. There's always people doing slackline around acro yoga. So I get a chance to hop up on a line every once in a while. Yeah. Um, but she does say that, you know, yeah, probably from the yoga, she says that I'm, you know, it's, it's, I definitely have an ease with it. So there you go. If you want to, be a good slackliner, practice more yoga. There you go. All right. If you honestly or, though, like I'm a runner and I just okay. feel so much better when I'm doing a consistent yoga practice. It's yeah. It's amazing. So I think anything you're doing, no matter like any kind of physical goal you have, more yoga is gonna help you. I would definitely say that that's that's true. Yoga is yoga is an excellent a companion to any other physical practice. And there are so many different ways that you can practice yoga as well, that if you have a really vigorous, active physical practice, then you can partner that with something that's more restorative and relaxing and allowing your body to regenerate. Um, or if you have a physical practice that is, you know, slow and endurance-based, then you can have a fast sort of like energizing yoga practice that can help to you know, bring up your bring up your energy level like there's just so many ways to use it to, to for, for whatever we need you know awesome well jill i'm so grateful you were able to chat with me today and thank you thanks for inviting me on the show and all the best with everything that you are pursuing this year all right big thank you to jill for joining us for the podcast and as always i'm super incredibly grateful for you for listening and tuning in and trying to better yourself, make yourself a more curious person, someone who's going to set lofty goals and go after them. 
And if you you just want to model yourself after Jill, just someone who becomes passionate about something and pursues it. Because I think we've all kind of probably had the experience before where you just get in a funk and you're not passionate about anything and you kind of are just remaining stagnant. I know I've been there. It's not fun. When I'm stagnant and I'm not chasing a goal or I'm not pursuing a passion, that's when I get, when I head into Grumpsville, which as a father of two beautiful little humans, if I'm in Grumpsville, I can guarantee you that's going to spread through the whole household and everyone's going to be in Grumpsville. So I always have to remain curious, remain a lifelong learner, remain someone who's going to pursue my interests. So if you're out there and you're like, well, I don't have an interest and I'm just going to be who I am right now, I'm going to be the same way for the next 40 years. I hate to break it to you, but that's your mindset telling you that. That's not the way reality works. So if if you find yourself in Grumpsville or you find yourself in zombie mode and you're not passionate about anything, that's when you really need to start stepping outside your comfort zone, pushing your boundaries, and just trying new things. So for me, after talking to Jill, I definitely want to try acro yoga. I might feel silly at first. In fact, I'm expecting to feel silly at first and to feel uncoordinated and have no idea what I'm doing. (laughs) But that's just how it is when you start anything new. So you got to, you know, you got to go into these new activities with that mindset of, yeah, I'm a beginner. I don't really know what I'm doing. I'm sure I might look ridiculous at times and literally fall on my face <laughs> if I'm doing something like acro yoga uh, or highlining like Jill talked about. Well, hopefully you don't fall on your face then. Take the necessary safety precautions, obviously. But embrace that feeling. Embrace the cycle of failure because fail is just a first attempt in learning. I was told my eighth graders that. They always like gave me the like, they, that was the ultimate eye roll when I said that. You know, sometimes I would do lessons that were much more difficult than they were prepared for. <laughs> I don't know, I don't think this is me because I was trying to get a point across, but I would basically design these lessons with their failure in mind. I wanted them to fail so they can accept the fact that that is the first step towards learning anything new. And then through that failure, they obviously came back with thousands of questions about how this new topic worked. And then we got to start the actual learning from there. And I believe that cycle of failure is really important. I mean, right now I have a a six-month-old, and I know in, you know, three to six months, she's going to try to walk, and she's going to stand up for that first time, and she's going to fall back down. You know this. You don't expect them to start walking instantaneously, so she's going to stand up. She's going to fall down. Now, let me ask you something real quick. What if... When she stood up the first time and she tried to take a step and she face planted, what if after that her mindset was, ah, looks like I suck at walking, never going to walk, I guess. What if she just never tried to do it again? Because that's what I feel like as adults, when we try something new and we fail at it, that messes with our minds and all of a sudden we think well i'm never going to be able to ski you know you expect to get on the skis right away and be really good at it and when you're not 
and you have a terrible time because you know starting a new hobby and failing at it is uncomfortable for us when that happens sometimes our first intuition is just to think i'll never be good at this so what's the point of trying again so what if my my one-year-old takes a step falls down is like ah i'm not good at walking looks like i'm never gonna walk again you're probably shaking your head that's ridiculous because that's not how it works you gotta get back up you gotta try it again you gotta accept the fact that you're probably gonna fail like hundreds of times before you become good at something so whatever you guys are pursuing this week whether it's acro yoga skiing cooking a pie whatever (laughs) if you're cooking a pie send it my way obviously But whatever you guys are working at this week, just accept that mentality. You're not going to be where you want to be when you first start. But by being consistent and working hard over time, that's going to add up. And eventually, you're going to be at the spot you want to be. So thanks for listening, guys. Once again, check us out, www.likeabigfoot.com. Dot com. Uh, you can join our Facebook group, Like a Bigfoot. That's where I post videos of the guests and links to articles about the guests and blogs and all that fun stuff. You can see Jill and her partner Heidi. I posted a video of their aviation flow, which is awesome to use that word again. And then you can also find us on iTunes. Please click subscribe. It helps a whole bunch and we got some really amazing guests coming up. I have some ideas I'm really kind of workshopping right now to, to help our Bigfoot community, our Like a Bigfoot community. Still coming up with a name with that. Thinking tribe, Like a Bigfoot tribe. I think that sounds cool, but we'll see. So yeah, keep tuning in. Keep checking us out. And uh, we'll get back with you next week with another inspiring, amazing guest. Thanks, guys. Have a good week.